You all can be seated. You can open up your Bible uh, if you have one, which I hope you do, to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's what we've been going through as a church family the last few months, and we're getting into the back half of it, maybe even the back third here shortly of this letter. So we have a few more weeks, uh, several more weeks, as we continue through this letter. I want to say first a thank you to the parents of the little kids in the room who normally would be dismissed right now. I thank you to you uh, for caring for your uh, sons and daughters or maybe your grandson or granddaughter who is with you. Um, I wanted to uh, express how thankful I am as one of the pastors here and how thankful we are to actually have children participate in worship with us. uh, We know it could feel sometimes as if they're a distraction. We sometimes think of worship gathering as an undistracted time for us to just engage God as adults, but that's never how God depicts worship. Uh, he, he depicts people of all generations, grandparents, as church family, that we learn to see children the way that God does, and that, that we uh, help them along, that we bear with them in their weakness, that we can even help them in discipling them, even in contests like this, to help them even with their short attention spans, to try to, to listen, to try to engage with the things that are being shared, the things that are being read, the things that are being said, that we process it with them afterwards. We really do take seriously as a church family this call to reach the nations with the gospel, to send people to where it hasn't gone, but we also have a call to take the gospel to the generations, the young people that are coming behind us. So I hope that this can be just one little installment, one little dose uh, in the life of our children uh, that they, where they can hear the good news of Jesus, they can hear his word read, hear it preached, and worship uh, Christ with us together. Well, it's been a weird school year. Uh, many of the kids in the room, if you're in school, you just wrapped up your school year. And many of the teachers in the room, you just wrapped up your school year on Friday. I know some have a few more days left of school. Uh, but um, it has been an interesting school year. One of the, there's been many things that I have missed in the normal school year. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy getting to do is going actually to volunteer at the, kid, the school that my kids are part of at Lincoln. Uh, it's a wonderful school. Uh, I've got to do some small installments of volunteering this year. Um, But one of the things that I typically do that I didn't get to do this year and I hope to get to do again is helping with something called junior achievement. Have some of you heard of this? Raise your hand if you know what junior, okay, all right, a lot of you know what this is. If you don't, junior achievement, just real basic, it's an organization that sends volunteers like me or like maybe some of you into uh, schools, to elementary schools, middle schools, even high schools, uh, to help kids learn about money. Uh, That's the basic short summary of it, to help them learn why we have money, how we use it, how little societies work with like stores and uh, how they pay employees and how we spend money and why we have banks and all these sorts of things. And one of the things that we get to give a small amount of time to, but I always wish we could give more, is to try to teach young kids to be generous with the money that they get. Uh, to, that, to not just think of their money as just purely theirs to save or to spend, but even to try to train their minds to think, who could I give some money to? Who could I be a blessing to in my community and around the world that could use some of the money that I've been given to, to further goodness in the world? And it, it necessarily in that setting needs to be uh, not as directly talking about Jesus uh, as I would like for it to be as a pastor, so I have to bite my tongue sometimes. Uh, but it, it's, I, there's always a step I wish I could take to try to help kids, help young kids learn why to use money the way that they should. 
Not just tell them the right things to do, not just tell them, hey, save some, spend some, give some, but to tell them why. To make sure that they don't just have this, uh, I, I think of plants sometimes, even though I'm a brown thumb, not a green thumb. Uh, I think of plants where there's what we see above the ground, the fruit of plants that grows, uh, but then there's the roots that it pulls from, right? And sometimes we just, when we're thinking of kids or we're thinking of discipling people, we just think what's above ground. What are the actions we're trying to get to take place in this young person's life? What are the stuff they need to do or not do and we don't take time to try to teach them where their roots should be pulling from to produce those things Uh, and that's so important in every domain of life but uh, what we're going to see in today's text is that this is important even in the realm of generosity when we're trying to think of how do we use the money that God entrusts us to give to people it's important for us to not just hear rules and expectations and guidelines do this don't do that do this stop doing that but to hear from God's word like we'll see in today's text why we should be generous to to learn what sort of roots that should be pulling from what sort of things should be feeding that generosity in young kids and in us as adults and so uh, this is important for us not just for kids but for adults too to make sure that we don't just go for the fruit of the Christian life but that we make sure we're having the roots in the right place that we're pulling for the right reasons to produce those things in our life we're after much more than just behavior in kids, right? We're, we're shooting for motivations. We're shooting for heart change that will produce that godly behavior, and God's shooting for that in us. And so we're going to read this text in just a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. We're going to go through this first half of this chapter, but I wanted to, to give a little bit of background because it's going to be necessary if you're going to understand at all what Paul was writing to this church in Corinth. Because he, he kind of takes a quick turn. If you've been with us the last several weeks, he's been talking about certain things. And now he's going to take kind of a quick turn and start to talk about generosity and an offering that he's calling them to be part of, collecting as a church. And there's some backstory to it that I think will be helpful before we read this. So one of the things to know is that at the time that this letter was being written in the ancient world, there was, as best as we can piece together in the New Testament, there was a a time of real financial distress in and around the city of Jerusalem especially for Christians, uh, that there was this persecution that was starting to ramp up against the Jewish Christians there in and around Jerusalem. And uh, as a result, their economic state, their, their, their money was, was going away. It was evaporating. They weren't getting the same business, the same opportunities. It, it was going away. Taxes were probably getting just ramped up and people were taking advantage of them. And so what the Apostle Paul had organized was he had started to try to organize, even a year prior to the writing of this letter, a collection an offering of sorts from all these different churches outside of Jerusalem that he had helped establish. Uh, We're going to see him even mention some of them here. But he had tried to get them to pool some of their funds together that God had given to them as church families and as individuals and pool those together to be able to take it as one lump sum to all these believers, to this church in and around Jerusalem, to be a blessing to them, to help take care of their needs, to help alleviate some of the, the suffering that they were going through. You can, one text I'll point you to real quick, if you want to put your finger in 2 Corinthians 8, Real quick, if you just turn back a few pages or scroll down or up, whatever it would be, uh, on your device, if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, near the very end of that letter that was written to the same people who we're about to read today's text from, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, Paul had written to those very same people about this situation, and he had said this. He said, Now concerning the collection for the saints... 
As I directed the church of Galatia, churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, that'd be Sunday, right? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And so Paul had given them this instruction probably a year or so before 2 Corinthians. He had given them this instruction in that first letter to pool together some of their funds, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, to, to pool them together and have this sum that's growing. So eventually when he arrived, they could have this sum that they were offering he had called them to start collecting. And we're going to see that he's calling them to resurrect their desire, resurrect their contributions to this offering. But we're going to see instead of him giving them a bunch of rules, like, hey, give this percentage, make sure you give this amount, do it this many times, we're going to see that he really drives at the heart of why they should be generous. He's going to not just talk about the fruit and say, do this, do this, do this, but he's going to point out to them why they should do this, why they should be generous with the money that God has given to them. And so these chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, are some of the clearest teachings in all the New Testament about generosity, about how we should use the funds that God gives to us to be generous, to, especially to God's mission and God's people. And so I want to read this for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 15, then we'll walk back through the text and see uh, a few important things that have bearing upon our lives even today. This is not just some ancient text written to ancient people, but this is God-breathed even to us today. So hear the word of God, 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and who gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. 
Well, Paul, as he, he calls this church to be generous, to take from the funds that God has given to them as individuals and as families, as a church, as he calls them to be generous to this church in Jerusalem, he, he does more than just shoot for that fruit, right? He tries to get at the root, to point, them out, point out to them why they should be giving, why they should be generous. And I would summarize Paul's message in this text and what I want to convey to you and to us this morning this way. The fruit of Christian generosity should be supplied by the roots of God's grace. That the fruit of Christian generosity should be supplied by the roots of God's grace. If we're wondering where, this should, where generosity should come from, why we should do it, it should be coming from roots of God's grace. And we're going to look at two of those in particular, two places that Paul is calling them to pull their generosity from, two reasons they should be generous. Not just because Paul said so, not even just because God said so, although that should be enough, but he's pointing them to reasons they should be generous, roots they should be, that should be supplying their generosity. And the first root uh, of the two that I want to point out to you, that you see especially him referring to in these churches of Macedonia, the first root that should supply our generosity is joy not wealth. Joy, not wealth. A lot of times we tend to think that generosity should spring from wealth, that, that that's where it starts, is God's given me a whole bunch, God's entrusted me with a lot, and so that's why I should give, is because God's given me an abundance of money, he's given me a lot of possessions. And, but what Paul points to is he looks at these, and points to the Corinthians, these churches in Macedonia, what he says is true in their lives is not that they have a lot of money, but that they have a lot of joy. And that's why they're generous. And he, he says that very clearly, doesn't he? he? In these first five verses of chapter 8, now Paul is referring these church, this church in Corinth to these churches in Macedonia. Those would have been churches that we, some of us know, churches in Berea, Philippi, Thessalonica. Then these cities, there were these other churches. And Paul is telling the Corinthian church, basically saying, They've given to this offering. They've given a ton to this offering. And it could feel a little bit, if you can remember when you were a little kid, if you, or some of you are little kids, if you have siblings and your mom or dad is like, why don't you just be like your big sister? Like, why don't, why don't you act like your brother does? I try hard not to do that. I do stoop to that. I will confess as a parent, sometimes we should not stoop to that. But it could have felt to these Corinthian believers like Paul's doing that. Like, Corinthians, why can't you guys be like the Macedonians? Like, they gave money. Come on. Like, you guys do this. But that, that's not what Paul is doing. Uh, he, he's trying to point to these churches that were so generous to this offering to, to commend them. Not to shame the Corinthians, but to commend the Macedonians. And he shows us in this text that they had very little money, but they did have an abundance of joy. They had a whole lot of that. And he says this, uh, and starting in verse 2, right? That's where you see this first. He's, he talks about how these churches were going through a severe test of affliction. We don't know exactly what that means. But he says in verse 2 that they were experiencing extreme poverty. Not even just poverty, extreme poverty. In the ancient world, that would have been something to see. That's not a minor statement. They would have had very, very, very little money and resources to pull from. Yet also in verse 2, Paul says that even though they're poor, they had this wealth of generosity that just overflowed from them as a church. This wealth of generosity that overflows. And in verse 3, he says, not that they just gave according to their means, but beyond their means. They gave more than what, what seemed feasible, what even seemed logical 
to Paul. And it seems like it even surprised Paul, right? Like if you look at verse 5, he says that it was not as we expected. Like we did not expect these churches to give in offering that they added to this collection. And I appreciate so much, I don't know if you notice this, but verse 4, as he's talking about these churches in Macedonia, he says that they were begging, right? But what did he say they were begging for? begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That is a striking statement. Like that, that they weren't just begging for people to give them money and to relieve their situation, but they were begging Paul, who wasn't even asking them to give money, let us help with this. We don't have much, but let us help. Like we want to be of help to these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Please let us do it. Not please give us some, but please let us give to these fellow Christians. And that is what struck Paul, I think. That's what impressed him, was not the amount that these people gave. They didn't even have a lot they could give. No amount they could have given would have been just impressive in and of itself. But what impressed Paul was their sacrifice in giving. That they were willing, even with the thin little bit of resource that God had given to them, they were willing to give it to others. So the question should come to us is what roots were down in the grounds of their hearts? Why would they do that? Like why would they actually want to give money to people when they had very little themselves? It could be, we could speculate, like maybe they just had sympathy for these people in Jerusalem, right? Maybe they were being persecuted for their faith. Maybe they knew what it was like to be boxed out of the marketplace or to be uh, not given uh, gifts and things like they used to be given. It could have been sympathy they could have maybe felt obligated if Paul would have been really turning the screws up on them, like, you guys really need to give to this offering. But Paul wasn't doing that. What he says in verse 2 that led to overflow of generosity was that, that abundance of joy, right? He says that in their severe affliction, they had an abundance of joy. That when, it, when extreme poverty comes and it, it meets their abundance of joy, it didn't lead them to stinginess, but it led them to generosity because they were joyful. Joy is a hard word to define. It's kind of hard to pin down what it means. I, there's different ways we could explain it, but at minimum it means this like good feeling or good cheer in our soul. Even when the world around us could be crumbling, that we have this contentedness, we have this gladness, we have this peace within us, not because of our circumstances, but because of what God has given to us. We have this steadiness about who we are, this gladness, this cheer in our soul, knowing that we're loved and cared for by God through Jesus. And that, Paul says, was in abundance in these churches, that they had this steadiness, they had this calmness, they had this joy in their hearts even as the world around them was giving way. And what they believed, what they knew to be true about God's generosity to them, what they had gained from being united with Jesus, what they believed about their spiritual wealth affected how they used their physical wealth, right? What they knew to be true in the heavenly places affected how they operated on earth, the way that they held their money or open-handedly gave it to others. And rather worrying about what they didn't have and grasping onto those little, that little bit they had with a death grip, like, I can't let go of this, rather than worrying about that, they were joyful about what they did have. And as they knew and remembered what they had through the person of Jesus, God's favor, his forgiveness, it helped them to loosen their grip even on that little thin amount of money and resource that they had where they were willing to give it to others. I want to share a word of application to those of us in the room who have little when it comes to money. 
And I know we kind of self-define. I'm not going to give you like a cutoff of what I think that is. Most, I'm assuming all kids in the room would fall into that category. You probably don't have a lot of money. You may have a big piggy bank, but it's still a piggy bank, all right? Uh, there's probably a lot of us adults in the room who would define ourselves as not having a lot of money. Uh, I want to speak a word to us thinking about what was true of the Macedonians, us who would fall into that category in our church family. I want to encourage you as simply as I can that you don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to have a lot of wealth to be generous. Like, you can be generous with what God has given you right now. And you should be generous with what God has given you right now. Like, a lot of times we tend to think that being generous, like giving money, giving gifts, being willing to, to make donations to the church or to organizations or to individuals who are in need, that that's something I can do eventually once I kind of reach a certain level of economic stability. Once I reach a certain level, then I can give. Almost like it's just an excess, an optional thing that I can do in my life. But this text commends for us that even when we have little, we should seek to give much. That, that we should seek to be as generous as we can be toward the people of God and to the mission of God. And I want to encourage those of us in the room who would think of ourselves as having little to start small, to take some small steps to seek to be generous towards others, to seek to be generous towards the people of God and the mission of God. And you may feel as you start to make some of these small contributions to people or gifts to people or put offering in, we don't do offering plates currently, we're debating whether to do this again or not, but as you maybe drop one in the back of the, one of those boxes back there, as you make these small contributions, you may be tempted to feel like, man, this is just a drop in the bucket like, why don't I just keep that in my little bucket? Why don't I just keep that here? But I want you to know that God is not a respecter of amounts that you give. Like he, he does not care. He is not impressed by someone who just gives a big amount, who can write a lot of zeros at the end of a number to give to an organization or give to a church. What God is impressed is by someone who is giving out of joy, someone who is glad to give what they give, even if it's small. Right? We just did this big trailhead fundraiser and we raised some like 30-some thousand dollars, which was awesome. I thank you all for your generosity. Some of you gave hundreds towards that. Some of you, I think, I didn't track it, but probably gave thousands to that. But you know what thrilled my heart the most when we did that, that fund where we pulled together? Some of you might not have even seen this or known this, but we had a big old water jug over in the kids' wing, and kids kept bringing coin after coin after coin that they would find in their rooms or they would ask mom and dad for, and they kept dropping those off. And I don't know what it accumulated to, but I know it was a small drop in the overall bucket, but that thrilled my heart more than the big checks that were written. Not that I, I'm appreciative of the big checks that were written, okay? But it thrilled my heart to see kids go and drop their coins in there and know they were contributing to something that God's entrusting to us to use to reach our community. God loves when people, even who have little, give much. And when they do it out of joy, when they do it out of thankfulness for what God has given to them spiritually. And I want to encourage us who have children, who work with children in our church, to, to teach our children to be generous, to model to them what it's like to be generous with the funds that God has given to us, if you want to alliterate, and try to teach them that with the things that God gives to them, that there's different ways that they can spend it. But as you help them learn to share it, teach them to be, as best as you can, teach them to be glad to do that. Not to think like, oh, I hate putting some coins in this cup. Like, I'd rather put it in this cup. But teach them to 
put it in that one and to be glad. Celebrate when they give that. Celebrate when they give it to a person, when they make a contribution to the mission or to the people of God. And show them that you are glad to do that as well. Like that, I think sometimes realizing that more as a parent is I think my kids are probably oblivious to our financial life. They probably think like a car costs $100 or something like that. Uh, they don't know a lot about how we use our money or what, what we give to, who we give to. I think that's something we should try to start to give our children some insight to to help them know, mom and dad, we value uh, the things and the people that we are contributing to. We're glad to do this. It's not something we just wish we could get out of, but we are glad to do this. Now, I want to say a quick word, and then I'll talk about the other second root. The, a word to those in the room, not who would view themselves as poor, but you would probably not self-label yourself this way, but some of us who are, don't hear this word the wrong way, but who are stingy with our money, like who are not generous, whatever the opposite of generous is. If that's us, like where we typically just keep our money to ourselves. I think a lot of times we do that out, we do it for different reasons. There's different roots that go into the ground that contribute to that. But I think one of the reasons is because we're fearful or we're worried about what if this happens or what if I lose my job or what if this takes place. So we, we hoard things, we stockpile money for ourselves, we keep it to ourselves. So we have nest eggs where we have big retirement accounts where we have all these things for ourselves. And I want to encourage us to remember joyfully what we have been given already in the spiritual realm. And to know that our Savior, if we're united with Jesus, He owns everything. Like you don't need to like self-protect yourself and to, to just keep everything for yourself. He owns everything. And everything that you have has been given to you by him. Like it's not purely yours to do what you see fit with and to just keep it for yourself. But he calls us to give as he gave. To, to, to be generous with the things that he's entrusted us. And not out of fear or out of selfishness to keep it for ourselves, But to look for opportunities to give to others. To give beyond ourselves, beyond our own immediate needs to others. So sometimes uh, generosity just naturally flows out of us, right? Sometimes generosity really is joyful, but I think we all know the experience that uh, where we feel a need to be generous to something or to a person or to a, a church offering or something like this. We feel called to do something, but our heart is not in it. We feel more forced to do it or obligated to do it. We feel a like a drudgery about doing it, not a delight. I think we all know this, where we uh, feel some sort of duty to give, where we feel ob obligated to give to something. I was trying to think of a simple illustration for this. I may have mentioned this before, but I take my kids to get donuts, like probably 51 out of 52 Saturday mornings of the year, and about 50 of those 51, I charge them what I call a dad tax on their donuts, uh, where I take bites of their donuts before they, I get the first cut off of the donut. They don't like doing that, and I don't blame, I don't expect them to like doing that. I'm trying to like prep them for government taking their money and stuff, but uh, it's a discipleship to serve them. Uh, but they give it to me, right? Like they never like, no, I'm not doing that. Like they always give it to me, they're always like, oh man, like, and that's what I would do too. That is not a shot at them. I, I would do the same thing. But just giving something is not what we're after. Like we're, like, we're not just to give things out of obligation, out of duty, out of this is my, I have to do this. What Paul is trying to get these Corinthians to think and to feel is that they want to do it. 
Like, not that they have to, but that they want to. And so the second root, I would say, that goes down into the ground that feeds generosity. If we saw the first one was joy, not wealth. The second one, I would say, is that we should have this root of grace, not duty. That, that we should view our giving as an act of grace, not as an act of obligation. As something that I want to do, that I get to do. Not something that I have to do. We all know the difference between that, right? Something that is free and something that's forced. Something we have to versus something we want to. Something we have to do versus something we get to do. And the word grace, the reason I I picked that to describe that second root, the the reason I use the word grace is because you see it throughout this text today. It's kind of laced through it. Uh, He says it in verse 1, as he's reminding them of these churches, he talks about the grace of God that's been given amongst the churches of Macedonia. But in particular, I want to point out to you verses 6 and 7, as Paul kind of turns now to the Corinthian church and calls them to take part in this offering, he says that he's sending Titus so that he, could, verse 6, so that he could complete among you this act of grace. And then verse 7, he uses that same phrase again. He says that they excel in so many things as a church, and he says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And so he's, t- he's calling this collection of an offering, this giving of their financial resources, he's calling it an act of grace. And if you've been around church as much, you probably know what grace means. But if you don't, uh, grace is another word that can be kind of hard to define. But grace in, in its simplest form is when you give something purely because you want to give it, not because someone has deserved it. Or not because someone has earned it from you. Not because they've shown their deserving nature as a person. When you do something out of grace, it's because you want to do it. Like you are choosing to do it, irregardless or regardless, I never know which way to say that, of what that person is like or what they have done or not done for you. An act of grace is you willingly giving to them, showing something to them. And Paul is calling this generosity an act of grace, an act like that. Something you do because you want to, not because you have to. That you give not because people are worthy of it, but because you desire to do it, right? He talks down in verse 10 about that year before when he had written 1 Corinthians and how they had started to do this work of collecting. And he says, and you had also a desire to do it. Like you were wanting to do it back then a year ago. And he's saying, now I want you to want to again. Right? And Paul, instead of calling upon them to, to just give a certain amount, to give as they feel led to, we will see in chapter 9, verse 7, just to give you kind of a preview of that, instead of giving them a law to follow, you've got to give this percentage of your gross income or something like that. Verse 7 of chapter 9, he tells the same church, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Like he he wants people, God wants people to want to give, to be glad to give, to contribute from what God's given to them, to the needs and to the mission of God's people. 
I, I was thinking of an illustration. Kids can probably latch on to this, I think. Adults, we certainly can. When you go to a restaurant and you, it's like, imagine like a sit-down restaurant, that's what I would call them, not fast food, basically. Uh, you go to a restaurant and at the end, after you've eaten all your food, the waiter or waitress brings out the bill to your mom or dad or to your grandma or grandpa, whoever they open up. If you've ever like peeked at what's on there, you'll see that there's the amount of money you have to pay just no matter what, uh, for the food and the drinks that you got. And then there's two things that are additional ways you can give money. Uh, one is a tax and one is a tip, right? A tax is already printed on the thing before you ever get it, right? Like you have to pay that. Like you can't negotiate that down. You can't get away from that. That is just on there. You're paying it because you have to. A tip is something you get to write in. It's something you get to decide, I want to give this much additional. I want to, I willingly, I don't have to put anything on there. I could be a jerk and put zero on that. Don't do that, please. For the love of God, literally, do not do that. Uh, but you get to write in what you want to give to this person, right? That's, you're doing that willingly, gladly, hopefully, right? Like you're, you're giving because you want to. The tax is because you have to. The tip's because you want to. And what God is calling forth generosity, how he's calling forth generosity from his people is to be a tip more than a tax, if we want to use those categories. That we want to give this. We choose to give this. It's not just something I have to give, that I'm obligated to give, but I choose to give. And this is so important for us as we grow as Christians, as we disciple young people, is to learn to view generosity as something we get to do rather than something we have to do. We are not as a church, and I hope that you know this, we are never trying to lay a law upon people about generosity and about giving. To say, you, to be a mature Christian, you need to give this amount. You need to give this percentage of your income. You need to give this and to, to lay burdens upon people. But we are not for that. We are calling you to give generously, willingly, gladly to give of what God has given to you to further the mission of Jesus. There is no more important thing that you could give to that and we want you to give gladly and freely to the work of God and we get to be part of that we don't just have to be part of that we get to be part of that of sending men and women to the nations with the good news of Christ we get to be investing in a church family and events and programs and classes that we have and staff that we get to free up from marketplace work to reach our community with the good news of Jesus we get to do that not we have to, we get to do that. We get to sow seeds that way and invest in the kingdom of God. So it is to be an act of grace, not an act of duty. And one thing I would say as, as a small aside and encouragement is I, I praise God, I thank God especially this last year that we can give digitally and online. Uh, but one thing I would encourage you if you give that way uh, is to try to still make your giving an act of your will, something you're active in doing, not just passive in doing. I know we can set up things like online bill pay through our banks and stuff like that, but however you can do it, I would encourage you that you try to make your generosity towards the mission of God and to the people of God something that you consciously do something that you willfully do, that you do as an act of grace, not just something that's like a passive thing that you do, that just like Nipsco gets your money, the church gets your money. Like, try to see your giving as an act of grace, not just as a bill to pay, okay? Uh, try to find ways that you can be active in doing it. So we're to have this root of joy and this root of grace. I want to point you briefly, but this is most important. So if you have checked out 
listen for these last few minutes. I want you to see in this text the deepest, clearest reason that Paul gives to these people and that God gives to us to be generous. And it's, it's found in this text in verse 9 of chapter 8. Paul says to them, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Some of you, when you hear me, when you hear the word of God call you to be generous, call you to loosen your hands around your money and to give to the mission and give to the people of God, you honestly don't want to do it. But you don't want to do that act of grace. You don't see it as a good thing. It's not something that wells up within you. But I can point you to no clear place in that text that I just read, verse 9, that if there's going to be anything that motivates generosity in your heart, it is this. It is knowing what you have been given by Christ himself. And the way that he gave so that you could gain. If that does not affect you, I don't know what would. Paul says that Christ, though he was rich, I don't know if you've ever contemplated that. Jesus' existence didn't begin in the womb of Mary. It actually doesn't actually have a beginning to his existence. He always has existed as God the Son. Before he entered the womb of Mary, do you know where he was? In heaven, being worshipped by angels fellowshipping with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, people who had already departed from the human race that, that were there as part of his people. He was being worshipped as the creator of the universe, as, as God the Son. He was rich. But Paul says, though he was rich, he became poor. That's, that does not mean, when Paul says that, it doesn't mean he just became the son of a poor family, like Joseph didn't have a bunch of money. Mary didn't have hardly any big inheritance. He's not talking about that. When he says that Jesus became poor, he's saying that he left the riches of heaven. He left the worship and the adoration that he had in heaven to enter the womb of a teenage girl. And enter into this world where he had to grow, where he had to learn to eat and talk and speak and had to, to read the scriptures and where he had to, to grow in friendships. He, he made himself poor. He became poor. And the of God, the way he became even more poor was he took our debts on himself. He took our sin upon himself. He, he was becoming indebted and indebted under the wrath of God because of our sins that God counted to him, becoming poorer and poorer and poorer. Ultimately to where God the Father punished him in our place to the point of death on that cross. So though he was rich, he became poor. Our sin was counted to him. And then he was raised to life. He was shown on that Sunday morning to actually be worthy of reward, to be worthy of the, the blessings of God the Father because he had been obedient to the point of death. He was given control of all the universe. He was made Lord of all things as if there was any doubt of it. He has been given control of all things. He's been given all blessings from God the Father. And Jesus did all this, Paul says, verse 9, for your sake. It, it, Paul's not just saying, hey, here's an example of a really generous thing Jesus did. Go do like he did. He's saying, you're the recipient of it. Like, not just be impressed by it. You're the recipient 
of Jesus' generosity. You're the recipient of what he has gained, of what he has earned for us. He did it for your sake. He did it so that you might become rich. And I want you to see the start of verse 9, that it was an act of grace that, God, that Jesus gives that to you. It is not something that you, that you can come to Jesus with, hey, here's what I've got spiritually. Can you please give me your reward? That's not how the transaction works with Jesus and with God. You come bringing nothing. You come actually with sin. You come with guilt. You don't come with a spiritual portfolio to him and say, hey, will you please receive this and reward me for it? You come to him with nothing. I come to him with nothing. And his generosity towards us, towards you, is an act of grace. It's an act of generosity because he wants to, not because you deserve it. And so to those in the room who are not yet united with Jesus, I want you to hear that loud and clear, that today, I have prayed this for you this morning, I have prayed that you would leave this room this morning as one of the richest people in the universe. That you, you, and not because you're impressive to God, but that you know now that you can come to him with nothing. You can come to him just with your sin in your hands and say, please forgive me. And he will not only forgive you, and remove that from your record. He will give you eternal life. Like he will give you his love. He will give you his favor that will never end. And those riches blow anything out of the water that you could possibly imagine in this life. And you can have it now if you come to him in faith. If you come to him saying, I know you've died for me. I know you've been raised for me. Please forgive me. Please let me share in the reward God's given to you. He will. Like he will not turn you away. There's a song that I love by a singer named Carolyn Cobb. And she talks about how in God's economy that only the beggars have what they need to come to God. She says that need is all you need. I love that line. Like you don't need to bring God anything impressive. You can't bring him anything impressive in yourself. You just bring your need of forgiveness and God will grant it to you. And to those who are believers in this room, lastly, I want to remind you I want to remind me, I want to remind us, I want to remind you how infinitely rich you are right now. And how infinitely rich you will be for all eternity. Like, does that, has that sunk into you? Not that you have lots of dollar bills and lots of zeros on the, the account balances that you look at, but that you have God the Father's favor over you. You have become an heir of everything that's been given to Jesus. Do you know that? Like, do you legitimately believe that? Whether you're the poorest person in the room or the richest person in the room this morning, do you know the riches that you have through Jesus? And if you do, loosen your grip on your earthly possessions. Not because you have to, not because you're forced to, not because some pastor like beats you with a stick saying, give this much or do this because you know Christ did this for your sake and you have become rich right now. So loosen your grip, loosen your grip on the finances that God has given to you. Let Christ's generosity to you motivate your generosity to others. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song uh, before we're dismissed. But let's pray together uh, remembering the, the generosity of our God toward us through Jesus. Father in heaven, we come to you left to ourselves. We are spiritually poor. 
we are guilty, we are indebted with a debt that we could never pay. But we thank you that Christ has paid it. That he has taken our guilt upon himself. That he suffered your full punishment on the cross. And we thank you that you have rewarded him and that you can reward us through him. That we can share in his reward as we sang about earlier. And as we ask ourselves that question, why should I gain from his reward? May we remember that we have no answer other than your grace toward us. And may we revel in that and be generous with what you've given to us. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus.